I love the new songs. Thank you. And uh, thank you for those that are reaching out. Like, you know, God, when we worship, if we sing, when we pray, when we teach, like all of it, uh, God uses to move us closer as a church to his heart. And so in that regard, we've been working all week uh, and preparing for this moment, um, this whole service, because what we're doing in this service is making space for us to become more of God's people together. And it matters that you're here. People online, we're so glad that you're tuning in. We love you too. And people in the room, we're so glad you're here in embodied presence because all of us together hunger to be made more into God's image. And that happens when we worship. And it happens when we listen to more of what God's word has to say to us. So our teaching today comes uh, in a series on the Lord's Prayer. Teach us to pray. Last week we kicked it off. Uh, this week I'll get into more of Matthew 6. So our scripture comes from two places. First from Matthew 6, verse 9, uh, where Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. First phrase, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. And then secondly, from uh, Matthew Uh, Chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, the story of the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his three best friends, the brother of James, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. He was unveiled. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And just then and there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them with a voice from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples heard this and they fell face down on the ground. They were terrified. But Jesus said, get up, don't be afraid. And they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Will you pray with me now? Lord God, thank you for... uh, these incredible scriptures where we learn more, God, about your father heart. And we learn more that um, just as you were well pleased with Jesus, you speak those words over us today, that we too are sons and daughters of you. You're well pleased with us. And you want us to be listening to the words of Jesus and speaking the words of Jesus. So God, teach us how prayer can make us more of your people. We feel less anxious and less afraid and more of who you made us to be, uh, sons and daughters of the Most High King, uh, our Father who's in heaven. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Take this teaching today and move us closer to your heart. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, we're in this series, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, and last week after the service, we were driving up north on the freeway and there was a semi-truck right in front of our car, and there was this huge hand pointing at our car, and it said, have you prayed today? And it was very ominous, a little scary. I looked ahead, I said, is that what I sound like when I'm talking about prayer? Like, I I felt intimidated. I'm driving, like, on I-5, like, yeah, I did, actually, but I feel guilty somehow. Uh, We're kicking off prayer with both an invitation, but also, I want to say it a little stronger than that. I think it's an invitation paired with a command. And last week, Raul uh, sent me a message, Pastor Raul, who's our senior associate, and really is kind of just a strengthening, uh, you know, minister to me in so many regards. And he said, Scott, I loved week one of the prayer series, but I want to encourage you, don't invite people as if prayer is something that's arbitrary, or maybe they'll, they'll be kind of opt in or opt out. 
instead encourage and admonish and command people that this is who we already are becoming. We are a praying church. And together, we are seeing in prayer, God do some really incredible stories where people are being set free through prayer from stories they've carried for decades or being clean and sober for 45 or 50 days. All of it, it happens in prayer. What's incredible, and I've said this last week, I'll say it again because some of us weren't together, but in all of the gospel, the four books about the life of Jesus in the Bible, the only recorded question the disciples ever asked in the three years they spent with Jesus was this one. Lord, can you teach us how to pray? Can you teach us that? And then Jesus taught them about prayer by praying. And so as we talk about prayer, it's really easy for these things to live in our head. But we got to be people of experience, moving into the experiential realm of our hearts, being open, being people of prayer together. And in a world increasingly disinterested in the activities on a Sunday morning called church, what sociologists and theologians are seeing is people are hungry for a move of God like never before. And people, Barna reports, are praying They're not often praying to the Father, God, Father, Jesus, whatever, but there's an invitation as we continue to become a praying church for us to have an evangelism, a ministry to say, come to our church because in prayer, people are experiencing the Father heart, the Father who loves us. And so today, we have this very simple sermon on the first seven or eight words, I haven't actually counted them, but approximately of the Lord's Prayer that has these simple elements. Our Father, who's in heaven, holy is your name. As we unpack each of those three elements, there's going to be an invitation. The Father who is one of intimacy and one of authority. When Jesus says, this is how to pray, and then he prays, he's actually ushering us into potentially the most important thing as a Jesus follower, which is not church attendance, not even volunteerism, not even reading scripture alone. Jesus models to be full of God. We be people of prayer that are full of the spirit of God. So prayer is this encounter of experience, of being moved more into the Father's heart. Jesus says, I want you to pray like this. So we're going to actually do this together. Let's, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. And depending on your tradition, there's different, is it sins or trespasses? And lead it? We'll, we'll get into some of the technical thing, but we actually have this slide. So let's pray this prayer together. We're going to teach about prayer, so let's be people praying together. This then Jesus said is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven as passed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We'll pause there. We're going to unpack later about why we sometimes add that last clause, thy kingdom and glory. And we'll talk about debts and trespasses. Today, we're going to start simply. This is how to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And as we get into the Father heart of God, I want to just kind of say at the outset, for some of us, super difficult, super unrelatable. Either it's the holiness of God, because it's not a word that we use in our everyday experience. We don't often know how to relate to holiness of God. Or the fatherness of Father God. Because for some of us, we've had bad experiences with our earthly ones. Years ago, a friend of this church who's no longer in Seattle... um, 
But what uh, this friend said was that when we as a church sing that song together in worship, you're a good, good father, it causes a really difficult emotional experience for her and she has to leave church. Like get up and leave the room. Because it's painful to think about her earthly father. But Jesus says, this is how then to pray. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. So I want you to, I'm, I'm inviting and commanding and encouraging to lean in today, to learn more about the Father heart, to think more about the location of God and why that matters to us here on earth, and then this reality that the holiness of God is an invitation to build our life upon. And this is the starting place of prayer, that we remember who God is in our Father, we remember where God is, who's in heaven, and remember what God is. Holy is your name. So diving in here, let's first thing in our outline, remember who God is, remember who God is. Jesus said, remember he is our father. Now there's a lot of names for God in the Bible, but when Jesus says how to pray, he says God is father. There's an invitation to a new way of relating to God, a new way to see God, not just as a supreme authority, but as the one who loves us as the one who made us. This comes from 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And then uh, from James, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all creation. It was a preacher, R.C. Sproul, who once famously said, how we treat God's name reflects how we feel about him. How we treat God's name reflects how we feel about him. In a world growing up increasingly fatherless, it's difficult for some of us to pray father because we've had a hard time believing our own earthly father. Sociologists report that 18 million children will grow up this year in homes without biological fathers, making the U.S. the world-leading fatherless country. Now, this is not to throw shame or blame on single-family households, not at all. It's just saying, actually, that in our American experience, this is actually becoming the more normative experience, that father's not around. Or for some of, some of us, or for our loved ones, father's around, but wasn't a good father, wasn't an affectionate father. Maybe it wasn't a caring father, it wasn't a safe father, or, or maybe worse. But I'm saying this because it's, it's naming the challenge of praying to the father. God, of course, course is not, he's not human, so in some regards, uh, we can argue that the name of God doesn't matter. Let's go back to that sprawl quote, though. How we treat God's name reflects how we feel about him. And Jesus said, pray like this. So why did Jesus say these two words to kick us off? Our Father. There's an R-ness. This isn't just solo. Prayer is never for us alone. Father. It's the Father heart of God. You've been invited into the family of God. When we say R, it's this invitation that prayer is meant to be more than just my own concerns. Though Jesus would famously say, you know, go into, you know, don't pray as the Pharisees do in public. Go into private spaces. Certainly, we pray oftentimes alone, but we're never meant to pray only alone. We're meant to be praying as a church, to be coming and praying with prayer team members, or to, to reach out to somebody. It's like, man, it's been a rough week to say, can I pray for you? 
to be people praying not just alone. Because when Jesus says are, he's saying this is the tie that binds us. This is our our are-ness. A a theologian, Dale Allison, said the Lord's Prayer has a communal dimension. We have here a prayer for the church, for those who have become through Jesus brothers and sisters as children of God. Or as Aquinas said, to say our fathers to express our love of neighbor. So we pray together, our father. In Greek here, the word is pater, which is the common household father. But Jesus didn't speak Greek. It was the first translation. Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so when Jesus said father, his native tongue, Jesus would have said Abba. And some translations you maybe hold today even do the Lord's Prayer as Abba, Father. Jesus said Abba. And Abba is a very personal term. It's somewhere in the realm in English of daddy, of the kind one, the merciful one. Also the one who I listen to, the one who I'll obey. Abba is both intimate and authoritative. Abba is the good father. And for some of us, it's the good father we never had. Dale Allison again. Jesus' father is not an oppressive authoritarian, but is rather the good giver of gifts who lets his children go their own way and still welcomes them home when they've sinned against him. And this is hard. And so maybe for some of us, we would just want to move away from it and just you know, kind of skip over it. My Bible professor at Whitworth, Dale Bruner, who's spent his life studying Matthew, he says the father heart of God is so essential. He says it like this. He says, it will not do to remove the father heart of God because Jesus commanded us to pray our father. But another reason is the desperate need in modern culture for the return of the father. And then he, he quotes this theologian who says, it can be argued that the remedy for a bad father is not still greater removal of any father figure at all. No, it's the gift of a finally good father. The Lord's Prayer gives us this gift. And it's remarkable. Because in the Lord's Prayer, it's actually the only place in Matthew where Jesus says, our Father. He often talks, my Father, or he'll say, your Father. But it's the Lord's Prayer. There's a new term of endearment to say, our Father. He's inviting us in. He's saying, I've got the greatest gift for you. I've got the greatest gift. I'm sharing my Father with you. I'm sharing my my identity with you. I'm sharing my life with you. Bruner again. Our father means we belong and we're home. We'll never be able to calculate the honor that's been done us being allowed to say our father. And as I I just thought so much about this moment and, and speaking the difficulty of our father, knowing that for some of you, you're like, I'm good. Like, it's not an issue for me. But for some of you, this is a very visceral challenge because as you hear about the father heart of God there are gaps there's challenges I just I mean I I get that because in a world where we're often reminded of what we're not it's so hard to live into the calling and identity that we are God's children that we are dearly loved and that that voice of shame which the enemy wants to use to kick us out of God's presence Jesus is saying don't go anywhere stay you're needed here you're safe here you belong here this is what it means to say our father and if if we believe it it changes us and it changes our church 
It means as a church, we truly believe we belong to a new family. That we don't just show up on Sunday and then we vacate when something difficult happens. It means we're brothers and sisters. We're meant to know each other, to trust each other, to belong to each other, to, to love each other. And I know sometimes for me or others, we've made church at a club or an event. But what Jesus said was it was going to be radically relational. One of my heroes of the fame, uh, faith is St. Francis. I actually have a painting that Heather gifted me on my 40th birthday of Francis praying uh, that sits in my office that I look at every day. And St. Francis um, had this radical encounter with God in the year 1206. He was raised in privilege, and the church of San Damiano in Italy uh, was in ruins. And, and Francis heard in prayer God speak to him, and he was so moved that he responded with his life. And that's what makes him a hero of my faith. He, he risked everything. And he, he sold his valuables. He, he sold his horse. And he called his friends and his neighbors. God is calling us to build the church. Like literally. But his father was so enraged by Francis' passion that his father drugged Francis by his back of his neck in, into the church before the, the, uh, you know, the leader of the church there. And so his earthly father is, is telling the spiritual father to have Francis denounce this new passion for Jesus. And Francis stood up and he took the clothes off his back and, and all the money that he had and he gave it to his earthly father. And he said, now I can truly say our father who's in heaven. Now that's, a, in, that's an important story about devotion, but let's be honest. That's a super painful story about the lack of an earthly father to build engagement and to work through conflict. And from my reading this week, I wasn't able to tell if Francis ever repaired things with his earthly father. So he had this passion for his heavenly father, but it broke relationship with his earthly one. Donald Miller, who um, wrote Blue Like Jazz and a bunch of other stuff, wrote a whole book about this intersection between a growing Christian faith and challenge with an earthly father. It's called To Own a Dragon. And I'll just share with you this quote as we continue to just unpack the, the encouragement to call God the father that we never had. Miller writes in his book, To Own a Dragon, he says, I started thinking about God as father, wondering whether I really believed it. The God in my imagination was terribly old and forgetful, not so much interacting with humanity as apathetically watching us work our jobs or mow our lawns. But this idea of God fathering us was new to me. And while I confess I liked it, I didn't know if I could buy in. But I like the bit of hope. I like the idea of God in heaven offering guidance and counsel and reward in my life. And I like the idea that I hadn't been completely abandoned. The idea became more appealing over time because if it were true, it meant I did belong. That all of us belonged. That we're here on purpose. And though some of us grow up without biological fathers, none of us grows up without our actual father. That is, if we have skin, if we have a heart that is beating, if we can touch and feel, then all of this is because God has decided it would be so, because he wanted to include us in the story. God loves you so much. He really does. You're included in the story. He is a good father that for some you never had, and for some yours was fine. He's the father that we need right now to establish our fellowship. A father, secondly, who's in heaven, remembering where God is, helps us make sense of our world in new and powerful ways. David wrote Psalm 33, the God who is in heaven. He says this, 
The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through the generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. It's just this beautiful telling of the Father in heaven watching over us. And David, writer of Psalm 33, remembering that God in heaven helps establish trust in the authority of God. The Hebrew word David used in, in Psalm 33 is this word for heaven that we translate heaven. It's this Hebrew word, shemayim, which means skies above. It's plural. It, it's it's a, the God of the heavens, the God of the sky, the God of the stars, the God of the universes. In other words, God is more than just over me. He's over us. He's over everything, everywhere, all at once, which is good news, as David points out, because he sees us and he carefully cares for us from a height and a breadth that would not, uh, not enforcing that he's distant, but instead that he's awesome. He's over everyone. He's over everything. He's over every situation. He's over every heartache. He's over every celebration. There's not a place on earth where God's presence can't reach. That means your father is not someone who's limited by location and he's not limited by circumstance. He's not limited by your sin. He's not limited by any mistakes you've made in your past. He's not limited by any health situation or any upcoming test or career decision. Every difficulty in your life, your father has a vantage over every single thing. Our father who's in heaven, the heavens, he's over it all. That's why the Lord's Prayer said it's so important to locate our father who's in heaven because it's this word of future hope. Heaven will be perfect, will be made like him. And it's a word of present peace because heaven is so big and God is so awesome and, and yet we live in this tension between heaven and earth but God is saying, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. I know it can get really hard down here. I know things in your relationship maybe have been really difficult but don't give up hope. Because our Father is in heaven, and we're here, and he's watching over us. Dale Allison again. The effect of putting God in heaven is to underline that for the present, though God's with the saints in Christ, yet God's rule is not yet fully effective in our world. So despite the intimacy communicated by praying our Father, there is paradoxically a great gulf between the divine world and the human reality. And in this way, I agree with my Bible prof at Whitworth who said the Lord's Prayer is one of Jesus' greatest gifts to us here on earth. Because we have a heaven, and we have a father, and we have a hope. Another author who I've been really jamming on all year on emotionally healthy discipleship, Pete Scazzaro, he says, seeing the world from a heavenly perspective to see what's really going on behind the current events and to be transported into a clear vision of the future and God's purposes in history may be one of our greatest needs today. So as we're becoming this praying church together, we're encouraging you, like every single day, continue to grow in your prayer habits and your prayer practices. 
Because prayer isn't something we think about. Prayer is something that we're ushered into. And you'll see in your bulletin that we as a church are going to, for Holy Week, we are doing a 24-7 prayer movement. That means you are invited to sign up. There's a link in your bulletin for one hour or multiple during the week between, uh, between Palm Sunday and Easter. Praying, uh, we're going to provide you resources, prayer prompts, different things, and we're going to cover all 165 hours of prayer during those seven days. We want you to be praying with us. The second thing I said last week is we want you to be sharing. I need you to be praying, uh, sharing stories of where God is changing your life in prayer. You can email Pastor Scott at Church BCC and share your stories because God's doing some incredible things through prayer. And it's often maybe different than what we expect. Some of us had answered prayers and it's like praise report. And some of us like, I prayed for something and it turned out differently than I expected. Uh, I'm going to share with you a story from us. I got an email this week from my friend Maureen who said, you can share my story about praying for God's power when it turns out differently than what expected. We're praying for God to move and to answer prayers and we don't always understand when it changes us or how it's changing us and how when the people we're praying for continue to, in her case, be sick. So Maureen wrote, and I want to thank her again for reaching out. She said, distilling a period of five years when my mom was living with ALS is challenging, but I recognize, Scott, your focus was to share how God answered my prayer. ALS absolutely sucks. My mom, who raised five kids, cooked and sewed wedding dresses and quilted and played the piano and sang in church. She was devout in her faith. She slowly lost her ability to care for herself. I prayed that God would take this disease away from her, this horrific disease. I asked God to heal my mom. When mom wasn't getting better and said showing more and more decline, I figured I wasn't using the right words in my prayer. I had known prayer warriors, and I was amazed the way they prayed, their words, their phrases, their conviction. I tried my prayers differently. Now God will hear me, I thought. I said it differently, but mom wasn't getting better. Her decline was heart-wrenching, bed-bound, dependent on total care. Her quilting fingers became disfigured. Her voice that she used to sing solos in church, one of her favorites, his eyes on the sparrow, was now silent. During the last week of her life, just this last December, ALS caused abdominal wall weakening and hence other effects in her bowels. She began vomiting. But ALS is cruel because it made even the vomiting difficult for her. And while holding her head forward as she retched, I watched helpless to change the trajectory of the diagnosis. I pleaded, God, be merciful to my mom. I reminded him she loved him. She'd served him her whole life. My pleading wasn't pretty. It was messy. It was raw. I screamed my prayer through gritted teeth and eventually tapered to a whisper due to exhaustion. I wanted him to have mercy on my mom. She'd suffered enough. I saw my mom on Sunday, December 11th in the morning. Mom was drifting now sleep. She would open her eyes and see that I was there and smile and drift back to sleep. While resting, I watched her smile, a smile in the waking hour she hadn't been able to accomplish on her own. And then in her smile, she shook her head. Yes. It was another physical impossibility during her waking hours. I believe she was talking with someone who was asking her if she was ready to enter eternity. She died that evening, and I believe God was merciful to her, finally. Our Father is in heaven, and we're praying to understand his holiness. Thank you, Maureen, for sharing your story. We're becoming a praying church together, even in the hardest of our situations, and trying to make sense 
of the gap between, for some of us, the time we pray and the effect it has on others. We're gonna close here where Jesus says, um, he remember uh, what God is and the holiness of God. Jesus says, holy is your name, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, or hallowed is your name. And when the Father speaks and the Son reveals his identity, there's a holy beauty that's unveiled. That story that I shared earlier from the ministry of Jesus, where um, Jesus is transfigured. I'm not gonna read it again, but Jesus went on to the mountain, three best friends, and Elijah, who represents the prophets, and Moses, who represents the law, showed up. And Jesus revealed his glory. He was unveiled. And it's so beautiful and so good that Peter who we can lampoon a bit, and sometimes we do, because like, oh, well, there he goes again. Like, Jesus, I'll make three houses for you. And I, I actually had, I loved his passion this week. I mean, he'd, he'd seen Jesus feed 5,000. He'd seen lame people walk. He'd seen his own mother-in-law healed. He'd seen it all. But there when he saw the holiness of God, he said, I never want to leave this place. Can we just make a home here, Jesus? Down below, there's, there's fishing nets to clean and there's people to care for and everybody wants something here. But here on the mountain, it's so good to be with you unveiled. It's so good to be with your heart. I want to make a home there. I, I, I relate to that. We all do. Like We've all had different experiences where we saw the goodness of God the unveiled in worship or prayer or through the love of a, a mentor, somewhere where you're just like, that's as good as it gets. Can we just live like that? Can we just make a home there as opposed to so often in this world where we're just so reminded of, of brokenness? That's what it means when we encounter the holiness of God, the unveiling that's why worship matters so much. And maybe you see people doing worship who try raising their hand or opening to the spirit. It's why some kneel in prayer and some come forward. And some of you are uncomfortable with those, you know, kind of, you know, kind of uh, those motions of expression because it's, it's not your history or experience. That's fine. But as we're becoming a praying church together, we've got to be ushered into the holiness of God. We've got to come onto that mountaintop disregard the voices of shame, disregard the places of failure in our past or people who have failed us or hurt us and try to get into the intimacy of the unveiled one because it's there that Jesus says, amidst my holiness, you become most truly yourself. Our Father who's in heaven, holy is his name and loving is his presence, has prayed for you this morning. Sorry. He just wanted you to know. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. And he knows it's been hard. He just loves you so much. That's, that's what it means to experience the holiness of God. To be ushered into the throne room and experience the Father's heart for you. So what I, the best thing I have to give you is I still believe that he just wants to share his heart with you. That's why we sing. That's why we read the scriptures. It's why we pray. That's why we're becoming a praying church together. I care, very, you know, I care about a lot of things that I'm gonna invite you into, different things, but 
This feels like a real important, essential starting point for us right now. To be established as a church that can say, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Holy is your name. God, show us your glory. Show this people your heart for them. When Francis left the church broke fellowship with his earthly father. He started a ministry of rebuilding the church. And what he did, I found so powerful. He, he had no money and apparently no clothes as he left the church. It was just like, awkward. <laughs> and then he went to each neighbor and he said, I need a stone from you. I need a stone from you. I need a stone. And he went house by house through the little town of Assisi rebuilding the church with the stones of the people who lived there. And they rebuilt the chapel and they restored the center point of that little town. And Francis' ministry increased. And friends, I want us to continue to be a church like that. Each of our prayers is a stone. Each of our hearts is a building block. Each of our lives participating in building something that has incredible value to the city, to your family, to your identity. Prayer is that thing. Our Father in heavens, you're holy. This is our journey. This is our divine invitation and command the work that we're entering together, becoming the praying church together. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for a testament of devotion from the life of Francis, a testament of devotion from Maureen. God, thank you for these incredible invitation in a world of bad fathers for so many of us. You're the good father. Thank you, Jesus, that you extended to us this incredible gift of being not just your followers, but your family. And God, we pray now that we would see your holiness, that we would see your glory, that you would continue to move in the lives of your people, that they would be people in prayer experiencing you are the Holy One. And that from that posture, that mountaintop, that we would make a home there, that we would learn to live in your glory. Show us your glory. God, show us your holiness. God, teach us and move us as people moving from the head to the heart, people encountering your great and awesome power, and that that would become our fellowship, that would become our intimacy in our homes and in this church, and it would spill out and change the city and this world. Father in heaven, Holy is your name. We love you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen.